Welcome back, everybody, to a day that you have not seen an episode in a long time for. It's Wednesday. Thank you for joining us again. Um, June 1st, we're, we're, summer is in full swing at this point, right, Dom? Is it actually officially summer yet? I don't actually know when the first day of summer is. That summer yeah. solstice, is that the scientific yeah. word? Yeah, I don't yeah, know when know. that is. I don't know. It feels feel like, like it outside, though. May is like in my head when summer starts, but this year, I maybe it's because I've kind of been, you know, moving around the country and shit. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I've kind of the seasons have kind of all been sort of mixed together to me. Like it, it was May, and I was like, yeah, I guess it is spring, but in my head, I'm like, wait, but it's almost summer. Yeah, spring was like two months ago. Well, okay, so. <laughs> The weather outside tells me that it's heating up. Yes, we are heating up. The grills are coming out. Yes. The sandals are coming out. Yes. Flip-flops if you're Big Dave, you know. This is true. Um, Cut-offs, also Big Dave. Also true, yes. Yeah, so a lot lot going on, a lot of changes. Um, But, Dominic, how are you – how is your body handling the changes of the – of the climate this week. Hey, we had a good week with no fights to have a week off because I was going through the snotty nose, the coughs, the the, the sneeze and everything this week with the weather changes. We were in the 60s. We're in the 80s now. It's been raining. It's been perfectly sunshine. And I mean, it's been a crazy week. Uh, but it, I feel feeling better now as we get into recording uh, and kicking off June with a, a great segment that we've had so many great discussions on. And now it's going to be even better but uh, I'm so excited. I'm feeling good now. I hope you also had a pretty good off week. Yeah. I mean, you never, you know, they always say that, you know, when you do this kind of stuff, you should take time off occasionally, you know, give yourself a week or two. But then when we do, I just like miss it. I'm just like, I know I just it's, it's hard. I wish I was, I was doing it, but yeah. uh, we, we persevered. We're here. Uh, we're better because of it. Yes. Uh, probably a good time to take that break since Dominic was under the weather. I tend to, usually when the seasons change, I get hit really hard. Like just, yeah, like what you're talking about, just snotty nose, yep. cough, the whole thing. So far, I've just been sneezing quite a bit. And, you know, like when you sneeze a lot, like your nose kind of gets that little, it's like kind of stuffy, kind of not yeah. going on. So I've kind of had that going on, but uh, I, I'll take it, honestly. Uh, you know, you know, uh, I did hear one time <laughs> scientifically that a sneeze <laughs> How am I gonna word this? Oh, I I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> I don't know if I can. This is not safe for work information here. Oh gosh, I remember. I don't know what show I heard this on. It might have been like Mansers. You remember that? I show do remember Mansers. Spike TV. <laughs> yes, yes. But they said that a sneeze gives you one set. It's basically the same. Uh, sensation as one seventh of a orgasm. So well, if you sneeze seven times in a row, it's the equivalent. Okay, I see what I see. Wow, 
I mean, a sneeze does feel good, I guess, when you get a, when you get a big one out that's been building yeah. up, you know? <laughs> Are you still uh, talking about sneezes or are you talking about the other one? <laughs> well, with uh, that being said, we're here for verbal sparring, people. That's, that's what right. they called? Yeah. Verbal sparring. The new name, same show. Uh, we're still doing the, the round table questions, but Reddit round table was just kind of a placeholder name and you know, we, we tend to not even use Reddit really anymore, yeah, so yeah. it didn't really fit to be the main title. But verbal sparring, same idea, same concept. Me and Dominic, we've scoured the web looking for the hardest hitting, the most divisive questions, the the most passion-filled questions on the internet, and we're going to duke it out right here. Well, we might be in agreement on some of these, but... Yeah. The point being that me and Dominic are here to give you the answers you're looking for. We are the source that you're coming to to get the answers to the questions that are hitting you the hardest right now. Yes, I love that. Verbal sparring. Amen. So, Dominic, with it, with that being said, we are trimming it down to eight questions. Uh, usually we kind of do like 10 or 11, uh, but I feel like uh, that was ta- – we, we just talked for so long for this. Yeah. Yeah. That we were having like hour forty long forty minute hour forty minute long episodes, and it's like okay, let's let's do eight. And these are like really in depth questions. Yes, yes. So you know, I think we're gonna have really good discussions about a lot of these, and we're still gonna get that same length of time in an episode that we normally get. So, with that being said, Dominic, are you ready to dig in? Yeah, I'm so excited. For those that are new to the channel, because we haven't done like a roundtable in a while, so if you're newer since we've had the last one, some of our best discussions all time in the history of the show have came from episodes like this, so fasten your seatbelts. We want to hear from you guys as well when we ask these questions, Uh, so get involved with us. It's going to be a good one. I'm ready to rock. Yeah, and just a reminder, you can follow us on social media so you never have to miss an episode. You can subscribe to the YouTube, click the bell. Uh, if, you, well, if you're listening on an audio platform like Spotify or Apple, make sure to follow us or like the podcast. I don't know, whatever you got to do on there. Um, follow our social medias at BAJ underscore MMA podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and the new TikTok. Don't make forget sure that. to support that. Dominic is running wild with the TikTok <laughs> on there. I did create a secret burner TikTok account just to, to check in with uh, – make sure that the content on there was good and it was so pg-13 and then i immediately <laughs> deleted i immediately deleted the tiktok app off my phone never to be he's seen dedicated again. to not have that on his phone <laughs> but uh that's all the same at right there at baj underscore mma podcast uh, as far as our personals you can find dom on twitter or instagram at dsleeve 14 is your personal tiktok at dsleeve 14 it is but i don't make personal tiktoks oh okay but you can still go follow Dom. Maybe he'll send yeah. you some. I don't know. Yeah, there you and go. Then, uh, for me, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, at NTBaker underscore uh, TikTok NA. NA. Yeah. But uh, anything else before we hop right in, Dom? It's, it's time. As Bruce right. Buffer Question. Say. Question number one. Ding, ding, ding. Hit the, hit the bell. Ding. We're going to talk about Israel Adesanya for a second, Dominic. And the question yeah. is... Did Israel Adesanya's loss at light heavyweight to Jan Blachowicz back in 2021, did that affect his marketability 
as the middleweight champion. Now, the, the, the I guess, biggest reason why this question is being brought up is they're saying, well, he could have still been undefeated otherwise, and then each fight would kind of raise that. Um, kind of like with Habib, too. You know, it's like each fight out, it's like, is this the time that he, is that O going to go? Right, right. So right. Now that that O is gone, has that affected his marketability based on what you've seen? Personally, to me, my answer is no. I still think, like, at middleweight, this man is one of the most deadly, most talented fighters we've ever seen at 185 pounds. I mean, the second coming of Anderson Silva, if you will, is the way that he fights, you know, with his striking and skill set. So he's only continued to get better at that weight class of 185. It feels like with each passing title defense that he has, there's a new skill set a new addition to that skill set that Izzy puts into effect. And that's what I think makes him so dangerous. Uh, his personality is still very marketable, regardless of having that one loss. And I think people knew that, like, yes, going into the Blahovich fight, I think people expected Izzy to win. I think I will say that. But when he lost, it didn't feel too, like, devastating legacy-wise. Like, I still feel like he's young enough to dabble at 205 again in the future but right now he's just so committed to cementing his 185 pound legacy uh, and for that reason alone i don't think it affected his marketability as the middleweight champ i think it affected his marketability greatly um basically <clears throat> you're right in a sense like personally like how i feel about it i don't think like i still view him again as yeah that's not the question the question is like marketability isn't just what we think right so even though i still view him as the best middleweight in the world and an absolute like pound for pound great right now but if you go in terms of the greater audience i think it's pretty clear that it's affected his marketability because you just look at the title fight since that lost and then look at the title fights preceding it when he won the title from robert whitaker it was the biggest audience in UFC history yep. for a show. Some credit goes to Robert for that, but I think most would agree that Israel Adesanya is probably the bigger reason for for that happening. Then he followed that up with the SDO Romero fight, which less said about that, the better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but then the Paulo Costa performance, where he just made Paulo look like he didn't belong and looked yeah. like he was on a completely different playing field. Um, you started to hear at that point, that was two title defenses in and people were already saying like, is this guy the best to ever do it? And yeah, um, you were starting to get a lot of that legacy questions. So then he goes up a weight class and people are like, holy shit. Like he's going for two belts. This is legacy big legacy moment he loses a fight that most probably thought he would win right Jan Blahovich, who I think had hadn't really earned the respect as a champion yet true after that fight I think he did um now let's look at since then he has the rematch with Marvin Vittori did anybody really care and the bigger surprise the rematch with Robert Whitaker I felt didn't really get a ton of buzz I mean I felt like yeah. there was just not a lot of people talking about that rematch when we had been clamoring for it for years the, the years since the first fight happened i mean robert had earned it more yep. than i mean usually these champions that have 
held titles for a long time. They get these immediate rematches. And Robert went to her gauntlet to get back to the spot. It was a big card, big headlining fight. You have Israel Asanya, who is looked at as one of your, uh, I guess, biggest champions in terms of marketability, like we're mm-hmm. talking about here. And the fight really didn't create a lot of buzz, I don't think. And then, you know, there was kind of that controversy when the fight took place, and some people thought Robert might have won, but it felt like it didn't have near, like there wasn't nearly the same amount of controversy for that fight as what we get on certain fight nights, like Holly Holm, Ketlin Vieira. It was like people just didn't really care about the result of that fight. Yeah. So I think it's safe to say that it has hurt his marketability in some ways. And while I still think that he, you know, I think he'll be overall okay, but, you know, he's headlining one of the biggest cards of the year. Uh, coming up with Jerry yep. Cannonier. So we'll see how that goes. Um, his personality is still big time marketable. The problem is just, I think that right now a lot of his fights aren't really delivering that kind of excitement. Uh-huh. Like, you know, Kamara Usman's done so much for his marketability and his, um, I guess, just his. Uh, relationship with the fan base yep. because he's just been in a lot of exciting fights, you know, after the, coming off the Jorge Masvidal fight the first time when nobody, everybody didn't like this guy, they thought he was a lame duck champ, yep. all this stuff and then look at the run he's been on since you know, Israel just hasn't had that kind of, that those fights yet, you know yeah. it's, it's, it's very good point kind of, the fights have been kind of blink and you miss it like not very memorable they're just there you know right right so i i still think there's time for him to build up on that but um as it stands i think what could have happened basically my point is the loss if he didn't have let's say he didn't even do the blahovich fight he just that wasn't his move he goes you just go straight to the marvin vittori rematch and he's undefeated that's going to be your driving point each fight is, you know, is the, is right, the, the zero. Go, yeah. Right? So yeah. once that's gone, it's like, okay, how does he stand on his own, right? Anderson Silva had this problem too. I mean, it's not like Anderson Silva became a, a big draw overnight. I mean, he was, he was clearly the best fighter in the world before he was one of the most recognizable fighters in the world. Yeah. And um, he didn't even have that, uh, that undefeated record. He was just destroying everybody, but it probably wasn't until what the Forrest Griffin fight that maybe he really it really exploded. Then it felt yeah, like, yeah, and I mean, yeah. Then after that, he had that big stumble with Damian Maya and Abu Dhabi, but that's what brought the Chael Sonnen fight, and, yeah. and that's where it really just took another. Yeah. So to me, it's like, is he also just needs like a, a challenger that's going to bring that out, someone who can really like. Like a Kelvin Gaston, what they went through. Yes, yes. He needs another of that. And Robert should have been the guy, but that isn't really how the fights turned out, I think. Yeah, great points. Uh, do you have any counterpoints, or are, are you... I, I'm honestly just curious to see how everything will play out for International Fight Week come July 2nd. Because you say you know he does need that guy to bring it out in him like Kelvin did a few years back. While Jared is a guy that you know brings 
hard hitting, you know, power and whatnot. He doesn't talk a lot of trash. They really, there's mm-hmm. a lot of mutual respect here. So it's not like there's going to be some fireworks in the press conferences and stuff leading into International Fight Week, which is the biggest week of the year for the UFC. So marketability wise, just that whole week in general, granted, obviously the card's stacked underneath of it still. Uh, I will be curious to see how that plays out with him and Jared. And then, of course, the results inside of the cage as well. I'm curious what your prediction is for that. Because for me, if you ask me, I, I think it's a good week. I'm happy that Cannoneers get in the title fight and it's a main event. I think that fight will be like the third or fourth most talked about fight on the card. Ooh, just like fight stylistically, like how it plays out kind of discussions? Well, I know. I mean, even in the lead-up, I don't think people just, Yeah, just in that. general. Because I don't think Cannoneer is going to play the kind of game that, you know, Marvin Vittori even tried to play yeah. where you had that trash talk. Um, he's, he's admitted he has no interest in that. And yeah. I don't think a lot of people view Cannoneer as a viable threat I do believe that is the case, yeah. Izzy's title. And because of that, I think that a lot of these fights underneath that that maybe are more competitive in people's eyes or just more interesting, I think this fight's going to kind of... It's the one that's selling it. It's the title fight, right? It's the main event. But and Izzy is obviously in that spot for a reason, but I think a lot of these fights underneath it are going to get more of the shine. I mean, Volk Holloway off the top of the head is the co-main, you know, is going to be, that's that probably going to be the king of fight it. week, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. 100%. Interesting. Um, number two, a couple of weight class moves that have been uh, rumored, discussed a little bit as of late. Which weight class move interests you more, Dom? Is it Henry Cejudo at 145 pounds or Alexander Volkanovsky at 135 pounds? Yeah, this is such a great question because we've talked about these two so much in the same conversation, you know, so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now that they're kind of, it seems, this question tends to point to, oh, they're going to go their separate ways inevitably if they make these moves. Um, At one point, I would have went Henry Cejudo, hands down, no questions asked. But right now, current day, Wednesday, June 1st, Alexander Volkanovsky at 155 is pretty damn intriguing, Noah, in a Especially if on July 2nd he beats Max Holloway for a third time. Because listen, when I view these moves, Henry Sudo at 145 is intriguing if he fights Volkanovsky. But outside of that, we've discussed this. Like, how many fights are that like fun for Sahuda to do there? He's just so much smaller than everybody else at 145. But Volkanovsky, if he moves to 155. I mean, him versus Oliveira sounds damn fun. Him versus Islam Makachev sounds fun. Him versus Dustin Poirier, I believe, is the fight that you brought up. No, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. sounds pretty fun. I mean, there's more to do for Volkanovski at 155, and that's why I think that interests me more than Cejudo at 145. Yeah, this is a tough one. It's a tough one because Cejudo... I think so highly of Henry Cejudo. I don't know if I've really made that clear on this podcast. I don't know if I've spoken highly enough of Henry Cejudo. Hey, do but, it again for him. Well, I just, I think that, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of validity in his accomplishments. I mean, I think if you if you look at, if you take away just the MMA factor and you just look at all these athletes as like combat sport athletes, I think Henry Cejudo is one of the best to ever do it. I mean, yeah gold medalist and he's got two title belts in two different weight classes defended both of those yep 
which is not an easy task. I mean, it's not. I mean, and look at the title defenses. I mean, finishing TJ Dillashaw, finishing Dominic Cruz. I know the Dominic Cruz one, you know, the cigarettes and alcohol. <laughs> yeah, and <all> yeah. <laughs> but because of that, like, there is something that's like, can he really do it? Can he get a third title? But I feel like Dominic. I'm still. I'm still excited that Henry wants to come back, and I. And I think most when when he retired, it felt weird. It didn't really feel like a legitimate retirement, in my opinion. Yeah. So I'm not surprised he's coming back, but I feel like the delay and kind of getting to this point has kind of made me not even care all that much about this third title. Yeah. Anymore. And I hate that. I wish I was that. Because you still got Volkanovski as of now as the champion. Yes, we'll see what happens with him and Max. But that's the fight that you make if Cejudo is really going to go for that third belt. Of course. And yeah. It's him and Volkanovski. But um, I think the I think he's kind of, honestly, I, I think he kind of screwed himself a little bit. I think there was a lot more interest in him doing this a couple years ago. Oh yeah, and I think and I think that uh, for whatever reason, if he needed a break or if it was more because of uh, like trying to make some sort of negotiation power move or something, whatever it was, I'm not sure if he really. I don't think it's really capitalized for him the way that maybe he hoped it would. I think now a lot of people just have this kind of meh feeling about his fighting career, which is such a shame because he is a great. And I mean, I am excited for him to be back, but I think my answer is going to be Volkanovski at 155. Yeah. Um, Volkanovski, I think, has earned the right to go up and fight for a title at 155 if he beats Max Holloway. Um, even if he loses to Max Holloway, like I think he can go up to 155 if he wants to. Just because, I mean, it's very clear him and Max Holloway are 1A and 1B. Yeah, uh, yeah. And if he beats Max a third time, I mean, it's honestly just he's one and Max is two. But uh, as of now, I just view these two guys. They are just so much better than the rest of the division that um, whoever wins, like the other guy is still a championship level fighter. Yes. So I still think there's a lot of intrigue. And even if, if Max loses, he goes to 155. But as the question stands... I think win or lose this title fight. Volkanovski at 155 interests me more. Even if yeah. it's Volkanovski losing, yeah. not going for champ champ, I'm still more interested in that fight. Him versus Oliveira, or like I proposed, him versus Dustin Poirier, I think is such a fight that nobody's talking about. But <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, Dustin needs a fight. If Volkanovski comes out unscathed on July 2nd, quick turnaround. Let's go. Bada bing. Yeah. Yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. Um, yes. Anything else on that one? Mm-mm. Again, July 2nd. Pressure riding on both those first two questions of the day. Uh, but yeah, Volk, Volk for both of us there. It's intriguing. Number three. Rose Namunas made a lot of headlines um, as of late, Dom. Not for very good reasons, too. Uh, her, her last title fight she lost her belt to Carla Esparza and what was considered one of the worst title fights in UFC history. Kind of a shame. Yeah. Um, so this is now, this this means that Rose Namajunas has had two title reigns in the UFC and each resulted in only one successful title defense. 
Does this mean that Rose is better as a challenger than as a champion in your eyes, Dom? Yeah, this was a, this was one of the first questions you had on this sheet, and it was very interesting. It's made me think a lot, and I had a lot of stuff coming to my brain this morning as we got ready. But, you know, is Rose better as a challenger than a champion? I think those title reigns kind of do paint that picture and answer the question for you. I think you have to say yes because of the runs that she's went on each time to get into being the champion. And while she's had, again, it takes a lot to even defend your belt once. Don't get us wrong. But um, she just, I think, has the all-around just better performances um, winning, getting to and winning the title than when she defends the title. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's the, the really good way to do it. And I just can't help but bring this point up too, Noah, because it's not even a Rose thing. It's a division thing. If you really want to break down these strawweight division, we've had Carla Esparza, Ioana Young-Jacek, Rose twice, Jessica Andrade and Zhang Wei Li. We've had five champions in the history of this division. If you take out Joanna, all of the other four champions combined title defenses don't add up to what Joanna did with six when she was the champion. So it is insane, yes, to see like while these are all great women, all great fighters, they've done so many great things, so many great victories and fights that they've been in. Ioana is like the creme de la creme when you look at the championship status and having all those title defenses against every single number one contender that was coming her way. Um, So when I really thought about the division and broke it down that way, it's like maybe they're all better as challengers than champions except for Ioana who returns in two weeks. Wow, that was a great pull, Dom. I I did not know that, but that does make a lot of sense. I mean, that's clearly the argument – that people still hold for why you want to might be the best straw weight ever. Cause even yeah. though Rose has beat her twice, look at what Joanna did as champion compared to Rose. I mean, Rose does have the two title reigns, yep. but now both have ended in disappointing fashion. Now um, let's look at kind of like Rose defeat, wins the title the first time UFC 217 knocks out Joanna. Yep. Complete shock, right? <laughs> Amazing. Shock the world. They do an immediate rematch, and it's a five-round war, but Rose once again earns it, gets it done, paid in full, right? You know, it was a great fight. Then follows that with Jessica Andrade, where she looks great for a round and a half, like just putting putting it on Andrade. And then Andrade, you know, gets a hold of her. Rose holds on to that Kimura, I think it was, and gets slammed on her head. Yep. Knocked out. Fight over. Follow that. Once again, comes back to another title fight with Zhang Wei Li, who's now the champion, who pummeled Andrade in under a minute in China. Yes. To win the belt. One minute into the fight, lands a head kick. Knocked out. Over. Then yep. follow that up with another grueling five-round fight. Yes. Very close. Yep. It's... Like, on one hand, you look at how she she wins these. Like, I feel like there is something to be said that she does lack the aggression when she's the champion. I mean, that the clearest evidence for that has got to be this latest loss yeah. to Carlos Barza. I mean, no pedal to the metal, no foot on the gas, just completely an autopilot yeah. for five rounds. And her corner. Corner, Pat Barry, um, Trevor Whitman, coach's name, 
Trevor Whitman, both kind of, for the most part, kind of acting like she's doing a great job when <laughs> she wasn't really doing anything. Uh, you just look, compare that performance with what she did to win those two title fights, what she did to Joanna, what she did to John Whaley the first time. There's no comparison. Yeah. I mean, she's a completely different fighter when she's chasing the belt. And Dominic Rose, more than most fighters, does have a mental game that she has to play to get herself ready to go into the cage. She said this, yep. you know. Yep. She considered retirement after her first loss of her title to Andrade. Just, you know, she she they interviewed her in the cage and she said she was relieved to yeah. have lost the title. Yeah. Like the pressure was too much. And I wonder if that is still something that plays a factor here is is the chase for the title more fulfilling for her than once she actually has it and yep. has to defend it because it's like you have you, all these people in your division are now focused on beating you you are the yes yes and i i don't know if rose I, i'm not questioning her mental anything because she is phenomenal fighter and a much stronger person than I will ever be. Yes. But I'm just saying that I do wonder if mentally she is better prepared to chase the belt than once she actually has to defend it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's a great observation to be had. It's like two different careers essentially within one, yeah. you know, the fighter outside or, you know, becoming that champ. And then when it comes time to defend that throne, yes, she does have, a title defense in each reign and both it's funny too because even both of those like you kind of said both were such just wars those five rounds but then the following one it just like everything falters you know what i mean it, it, it's well it's so weird how that's worked it is it something to be said like who knows she her title defenses both times have been against the person she took the belt from true true and i don't know is that a point that supports her or goes against her because to me like i think i look at immediate rematches as being going against the person who lost the first fight i feel like it goes right. against it, it it stacks it against them the odds yes i agree yeah so joanna having getting that immediate rematch i'm not saying it wasn't deserved but if joanna and rose had went their separate ways if rose goes and fights Andrade and maybe beats her and joanna goes and fights uh, like Tisha Torres. I know she fought after that and beats her. And then they come back. Is the fight go a little differently because you've had more mm -hmm. time to Prep. prepare? You've had yep. other opponent that came in and kind of got you some confidence back. And then you go and face the champ who took the belt from you. I just wonder if either of those fights with Whaley or you want to go differently if there's like a, a fight before that, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, you put like yes, she did defend each title, but it was against the person that she had already beaten to take it. So I just, it kind of makes me wonder just how would she have done if she was fighting someone who you know, if Carla was the next fight instead of Zhang Wei Li, like most people wanted. Yeah, I was about to. Get? Mm hmm. That's I wonder the same thing. I was going to ask I that. Mean, it's it's a question worth asking, right? Yeah. But, oh, uh, absolutely. I mean. But what's what's clear now is she's not the champion now, 
And Dominic, I feel very confident she might become champion again. Third time, I know. It's crazy. I mean, I just, like, why wouldn't she? Who's going to, like, who am I going to favor to beat her? Yeah. I don't even favor Carla to beat her. And Carla's beaten her twice. Yeah, I know. And, like, if you're the UFC here, when you give Rose this next fight, does she just win one and get back in? Because she beat Jess Kondraj in that three-round war um, mm-hmm. and then got back in, right, to fight Zhang Weili. Yeah. Or being that this title defense was just so lackluster, I'm thinking maybe the UFC's like, all right, Rose, like maybe get two or three, then maybe we'll throw you back dis- in, you know? I disagree on one point. I think it depends on who's the title. Who? Yeah, true. True. If it's Carla, if Carla goes on a run here, I don't know if I don't know when Rose <laughs> gets back in that spot. Yeah. But if Carla gets un un she gets beaten by her next opponent, then I think Rose will pretty quickly be able to put herself back in that spot. Just, I mean, she's one of the biggest stars of the division, one of the biggest names of the division. Yeah, true. Uh, obviously, you've seen what she's capable of in those fights where she goes for the title. It's, I'd be hard, I'd be, I'd be shocked if the UFC withheld her from it for multiple fights as long as, again, the, the caveat being Carlos Who, Barza yeah. not holding the title, you know, at that point. I like that. I like that. Number four. Now, here's a question. This could get interesting. This hits us hard. Yeah. This could get very interesting. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I know this question, I think, just made Dominic probably felt a certain way when he read this question. Because <clears throat> it's about something he holds near and dear to his heart, and that's Dana White's Contender Series. Yes. Question being, a stat that I found myself, and that you guys can find, with Contender Series contract earners losing at a higher rate than they win, is this a sign that the show serves as a means of feeding guys to the real talent in the company, or is the show legitimately the ones bringing in most of the talent to the company. Yep, yep. And you, we, you've talked about this a few times. You've brought it up to me a few times. Like, yeah, a lot of these people do lose more than they win. Like, combine all of it together, well, it, it's a it, losing it record. It shocked me. It shocked yeah. me a little bit. Yeah, because um, there are, like, there are great fighters that do stand out and have had success. Granted, none have reached the title yet, right? None have won the mm. title. But uh, there are great fighters. But... Well, then yeah, you really, at, I guess, guys like Sean, o, Sean O'Malley, <laughs> Alex Perez, yep, uh, Macy Barber's had a good career. I mean, yep, there's a lot of people that you can name. I'm sure I'm missing even some of the best ones right there. Yeah, and like those are three of the ones that stand out the most that have had that success and don't have many loses at all when you combine them all together. But then you look at all the other people that have had. Uh, you know, wins on that show, and they just haven't lived up to par. Is it legitimately bringing in talent or feeding fighters? Man, I think, like, I, I hate to be the guy that says yes and no, but this one really feels like a yes and no to me because there is legitimate talent. I feel like there is championship-level talent. Which one do you think? Which one do you think it does more? Like, okay. What's it, what does it so, do more of? So, because, yes, it does bring in talent, but it also does have, like, you know, it's a – it's a grounds of just bringing in guys as well to feed to, you know, to other guys in the company. My question more is just like, what do you think this show serves more of a purpose in doing? 
Yeah. Is it more as a real means to bring in like real stars or is it more just to kind of fill in gaps on these fight night cards and give guys who are more established like opponents? Yeah. Well, I feel like Dana and the boys, you know, that's what we always kind of say. I'm trademark pending by Noah. Have they, they, their idea, idea behind the show is to bring in that legit talent. I think we do see that sink or swim play a big factor. And I think we do see more fighters come into the UFC and really be like, you know, welcome to the big boys. Welcome to the big leagues. And they falter. I think more, we see more of that happen than the legit talent smashing through ranks. Like, you know, just a very few of those have done. So I think we do see more of people just getting like a wake-up call almost. Like, you know, you've been in these regional so, promotions doing great. Um, go ahead. Well, so so you think that it, it is – serving more of a purpose of feeding fighters but that's not the actual purpose that's not the intent yes yes the intent exactly. is that it's a sink or swim mentality they do believe in these guys as that they could be legitimate talent yes but a lot of these guys just falter when the lights shine brightest is that exactly kind of what you're at? yes yes uh, let, let me let me think about this question because yeah, that stat just always hits me so hard. I know. Like, man, I these know. fighters lose more from this show than they win. It's like, you know, I mean, you got to think like these wins are really being carried by, like, you got guys like Sean O'Malley who's like seven and one or whatever in the yeah. UFC, and you know, that's what makes it so crazy is that like a lot of these guys go zero and two, and then they're just. It's, it's like that, uh, what's that, like, 2080 rule in business and stuff, what we learned about in college? Like, 20% of the people from Dana White are carrying the biggest wins for the rest yeah, of that 80% that's, that's in, you know? Yeah. That, that, that's how it feels. Yeah. My, so so let, me th- let me pitch you an idea that I was kind of, with this question, I was kind of throwing around in my brain. Hamzat Shemaev, right? He was the guy that people were very, even though he kind of came out of nowhere for like us and most yeah. of the fans. The UFC knew that dude, like, yes. was the <laughs> the real deal on day one. And I mean, they had probably heard all the stories about him out in Sweden and stuff. Yep. And, and MMA All Stars, that's the gym, right? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like they knew this guy was going to be something special. I think. Yeah. Is it? Is it? Am I looking too much into it when they they have Hamza, legit prospect, unknown to your audience, but instead of putting him mm. on the Ultimate or on the Contender Series, he just comes straight into the UFC. Yeah. So am I looking too much into that when it comes to kind of breaking this down? That maybe the guys that the UFC really believe in. They're not going on the contender series. They're not going to the ultimate fighter. They're being given legit contracts and they're gonna probably welcome some of these guys from the contender series or uh the ultimate fighter to the company. Like that like these shows are more serving the means to just give guys like Hamza actual opponents, you know, early on and stuff like that. Yeah, that's an interesting viewpoint to have. And I had a feeling that's where you're starting to lean when you brought him up. But it, it that does bring up a question. Like, if they, because you know they scout so many people, you know, so many fighters from across the world, from across the country. They know, like, who's going to be a legit threat, as Noah said, with Hamza. So, yeah, that is a, 
an interesting well, point that you bring and then up. If you, let's, and I just brought up the Ultimate Fighter. Like, compared to the Ultimate Fighter to Contender Series, you have both of these going on at the same time. Well, what makes the UFC put a guy on the Ultimate Fighter versus putting yeah. a guy on the Contender Series? I do if you that. ask me how I, how I believe they do it, is I believe that the guys that they care more about go to the Contender Series. Yeah, I would agree. And the guys that they just... They're like, yeah, maybe, but uh, Bobby Hoffman, who's 40, or Bobby Maximus, that's 42 yeah. years old, you go on the ultimate fire. Yeah. Or maybe, is it guy? Is it certain personalities that they feel are like great characters go on the ultimate fighter? And, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it just, to me, it feels like there's a hierarchy, right? Like it feels yeah. like the ultimate fighter is basically like, you know, you, 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 like, is Ricky Tercios really a prospect? I don't know. Like, he's one of the winners of the last year. Or who was the other guy that won the last year? Oh, shit. Yeah, so I got to think for a second. I think this is going to yeah. tell <laughs> yeah. Um, are these guys really prospects, or are they – they could be, but are they just kind of guys right now, you know? Right. Um I don't know. I've I've been getting hit hard with. I've noticed on the betting side of things, I tend to view, like a lot of these contender series guys when they come in. I tend to have an inflated view of their talent because they're fighting other guys that aren't in the UFC on this show. Yeah, and they look fantastic, and then they come into the UFC and there it's just a whole different pedigree yep. of talent. Yeah. So as much as I love the show, I think I got to say that it probably serves more as a feeder i mean the ufc puts on all these events a year and you're start you're seeing it more and more when dana does his like videos each week where it's like here's the fights that you need to watch out for you know yeah and he's got the card behind him you're seeing that blue little yeah, ticker cs pop i mean it, it's like on half the fighters at this point on a card yeah especially on a fight night like fight nights are filled with these guys making debuts or their second fight, yep. and they're like, you know, and a lot of, like, I remember I, what made me put this question on here was I believe it was the Blahovich Rackage card, maybe. There was four Contender Series guys making their debut. Yeah. They, were, they went one and three. And I, and I just, um, it made me think, like, is it, like, is having that Contender Series contract earner badge even, like, is that even much of a? Does it really mean anything? You know, or is yeah. It, and Dominic, there's even another thing you have to consider here. Like, look at certain fighters on the Contender Series, like Casey Kenny. Good fighter. He's had a solid career in the UFC up to this point. Also, didn't earn a contract on the show. So, is he a Contender Series guy, or is he not yeah. a Contender Series guy? Like, I don't. That. What well, is it? Eh, huh. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like all these, there's like all these variables. The, the the further you dig, you just find more. It's like the fraction keeps expanding. I mean, it's just yeah, it, it's it's massive. It's very true, you know. And some of the like you said, like guys like Casey would lose on the contender, go back, win a fight or two in LFA, then they get called up, or they go back to the contender series a second time. Jamie Pickett fought on the contender series three times before he finally won and got into and, the UFC. And then the UFC, he's like one in three, I think. Yeah, just like middling, that. you know. So. 
it 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 yeah the like the if you really sit down and listen to this conversation over again after we're done with it and those that are hearing it now you're gonna think oh wow it really does seem like they are just feeding fighters to real talent like it, it's the graduation from the minor leagues to the big leagues or we see college athletes and football basketball get drafted they're gonna have all these high hopes and everything and they utterly crumble in the big time you know under the bright lights of the nba and that's kind of that it happens in the mma world as well and here in the ufc you know my you want to want to ask you one more question before we move on about this do you think since that is the fact right that whether or not you believe the intent is to kind of do that or not it seems kind of clear like due to the there is no easy fights in the ufc right so a lot of these guys are basically coming in and they're being put in in tough matchups right away so they're losing more than they went up to this point. Do you think that that fact hurts the value of the show, or does it actually just make? Is it more important that it just makes the brand stronger? Like it's like, does it really affect the show's value if the, if their guys coming off aren't winning as much, or if you really think about it, like it just makes the UFC brand all that more stronger? That's like, well, hey, bud, this is the big leagues now, like. You know, that's kind yeah. of the question. Yeah, that's um, that's an interesting viewpoint, too. You brought up some good-ass points. A lot of questions within the question on this topic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it, in a way, it does kind of do that. Like, hey, you know, we're, we're the big, we're the leading MMA promotion for a reason. You're going to find out why when you come in. Um, but I still think, like, if everybody's coming into the Contender Series winning, but then they are going to lose three straight fights in the UFC and get cut that damages the show a lot. So again, yeah. it goes back to that 2080 thing we said earlier, those top fighters that are winning that are making a name or even just in really fun fights, they're holding the popularity. They're driving that contender series to keep being a success and something that wants to be brought back for now. What will be season six uh, this summer? Yeah. And again, we both love the show. I'm excited to see it back. But it is a, just an interesting question to bring up, you know. Yeah, yeah. Number five. What is the most emotionally invested you have ever been in a single fight? And there's a caveat, Dominic. Yeah. Stipe Miocic fights excluded. And yeah, you know that's... what? I'm going to go a step further and say Cody Garbrandt fights also excluded. <laughs> that was in the fine print, right? When you buy the product, yeah, that's I, in the fine print. Because I feel like you're gonna, because you, I, I know which, I know how you work, Dom. You, you, yeah, you're, yeah. you're Ohio boy through and through, and uh, so we got to take our Ohio boys out of this. What is the most emotionally invested? Have you ever had a fight, Dominic, for one reason or another, whether good or bad, bring you to tears? Even I have actually. So I'm. You do so good at. Sometimes leading me in to answer a question, and you, unbeknownst to you, I'm going to answer it right how you worded it, because I have, <laughs> Noah. And it involves still a favorite fighter of mine, but for so many other reasons. The most emotional I've ever been watching a fight. Anderson Silva versus Uriah Hall. And no, it's not because we had one of the funniest moments in podcast history on the preview <laughs> show leading into that October 31st edition. But that episode, because... <laughs> hold on, sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. That episode 
Can I just say what a shit show that episode is? I mean, that episode deserves to be put in like the Hall of Fame. Yes. Because not only does it have one of the funniest ongoing jokes ever with the apple bobbin, small yes. mouth thing, but it's also the episode where, unbeknownst to me, I had COVID, and then yes. by being there with you, gave you COVID, <laughs> and that is why for like the next two episodes I was just not. There. <laughs> yes, that is so true. I forgot that that happened during that recording as well. Um, yes. So yeah, what the, the, all kinds of factors are playing into this fight. But Anderson Silva versus Uriah Hall, the October 31st, the Halloween fight night for the UFC. It was Anderson Silva's final UFC fight. It was made pretty obvious going in that that was the case. And while I held it together strong in our recording, I gave Anderson a shine. I talked about his accomplishments. I'm excited. How's he going to look? You know, Uriah Hall's another good striker, but he hasn't been letting it go lately. He did in that fight. At least, eventually, he did and knocked out Anderson. But that's it. When Anderson's music hit, ain't no sunshine. And DMX came on and the lights went dim. Goosebumps. Anal goosebumps, as we say sometimes in the group chat. I know you guys aren't in the group chat, but they happen. And uh, just the the tears, the eyes watered. One or two dripped down my cheek. I was, Noah, I was pacing around. You know the apartment I was living in. I was pacing in the living room, just like, come on, baby, one last time. Like, he can do it. I believe in you, Anderson. This man, without Anderson Silva, I'm not sitting here today making this podcast and that was the most emotional i've ever been in a fight tears flowing chills pacing back and forth just so anxious so nervous and so excited but knowing that win or lose that was gonna be it for my favorite fighter of all time that by far like takes the cake but honestly still may even be above like a steep a versus dc it's damn close Mm. if it's not number one it was uh Tough times in the apartment that evening. Yeah, there's only one time I've ever been brought to tears mm. for a fight. And it was one that I did not expect. And it was Brandon Moreno defeating Davidson Figueredo in the rematch. Yeah. Just the the emotion that he had in winning the belt and being the first fighter from well, yes, first Mexican, Mexican born, born fighter yeah. to win a title. Um I, like, kind of got misty-eyed over the whole thing. And I, yeah. you know, look, I didn't have a dog in that fight. I've been a big fan of Davison on his run. And just something about that moment just kind of overcame me. I mean, I remember talking about it at the time. Like, I legit kind of cried when that happened. Yeah. I was very moved by the whole thing. I think a close second, it didn't actually bring me to tears, so it's not my answer. But we watched it at B-dubs, and I was very close to getting misty-eyed before round five between Israel Adesanya and Kelvin Gastelum, mm. when Israel says, uh, what is it that he says? He says, uh, I will die. I'm willing here. to die. I'm yeah. willing to die. I remember that was kind of like, a, it sent chills down yeah. my spine a little bit. Like, yeah. Was it for theatrics? No, I don't think so. I think those two guys legitimately were fighting to the death in their eyes in there. And that, that fight's my, I think it's, I don't know if I ever made this statement, but that's my favorite fight of all time. Is that Ooh, one? So like, I love that. So because of that, that and that has a lot to do with it. it was just it, it moved me so much. And, and yeah. That. But yeah, I mean, 
the real answer is probably the Moreno one, actually, for me, just because that's the only fight that's ever made me cry. But the, the Stipe DC second fight. Yeah, that was I big. Mean, dude, we, we had a lot of emotions going on in yeah. that B-dubs. Yeah. yeah. We, Stood up and hugged in front of everybody yeah. in that place. I mean, it was uh, that, that was, was quite a time. Uh, Let us I'm know, going, guys. Yeah, I want I want to know what other people think too. Like, what are yeah. some other moments? Um, I remember I remember Anderson Silva Israel Adesanya kind of moving me a lot, just because you don't see that kind of fight where it's yep. like the passing of the torch. Yes, you know MMA is not set up to do that, right? It's 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 set up for these our our legends fall hard, and yeah, and, you know, obviously the new breed rise. But it's kind of like the old get fed to the young. That's usually just how it goes in MMA. It's not an old man's sport. Right. But you got, you got that passing the torch moment where Izzy was clearly the next calling of Anderson yes. Silva. And they had this great fight. Anderson kind of showing a lot of old Anderson yep. flashes. Yeah. But the right guy wins. But he doesn't have to knock out Anderson to do it and stuff. It's like yeah. it was just a wonderful fight. Yeah, it was, man. I know another, I guess, moment. Of course, you know, like going in emotionally invested, I think is that that's where it kind of differs for me. But an emotional result that's, you know, forced out emotions for me is probably the best way to say it. When Charles Oliveira won the title was a big one. We got to watch that one together. Yeah, was a big one. Probably the closest for you to that Brandon Moreno. Yes, yes. I yelled. Yeah. And I again, I liked both guys. Yeah, That's like going in, whoever won, you know. Yeah, hey, I mean, it's kind of like with Steve Bay DC. Like I, we both love DC, but we clearly were yes. Steve Bay guys. Yes, yes. So that's what surprised me about the reactions that the emotions that came out for Oliveira and for Moreno's because I didn't have a dog in the fight, but I guess it's just because I so love these fighters and these sport that I just, yeah, it. it you're right. The Oliveira one might. It didn't make me cry, but it was it, man. I I just love Charles Oliveira. So much. Yeah, I know, man. <laughs> uh, number six. Now, Dominic, you you were struggling to find an answer to this one. So if you <laughs> yeah. still don't have one, feel free to pass it to me here. But what is a fight that does not get discussed enough or given enough credit when great fights of all time discussions are brought up? Yeah, so uh, pass. I still, I, I just have a lot going through my head. Hearing you may help ignite a fire to remember. So, some, but. I, I, I had just a little bit of time to think about this before uh, we got on today, and the answer I'm going to give, because I never really hear it discussed, but I think it's one of the best fight night main events ever. Anderson Silva versus Michael Bisping. I think that Ooh. fight is terrific. Wow, and that's a good one. The, and that's a fight that really tells a story. I mean, Anderson Silva essentially knocks out Michael Bisping, but it's like at the end of the round, and Bisping's able to continue, and he fights back, and he ends up getting the win, whether you think he deserved it or not, seeing him just so fucking beat up and emotional over getting the judges' scorecards. Like, it's a great fight. It's a wonderful fight. Even if you're an Anderson Silva fan, I didn't think you can deny that fight's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I love that one. And you were right off recording. You'd be like, yeah, you're going to wish you thought of this one. That's a great one. Um, I, I did just have one spark into my head, so I have to go with the one that came into my head. i got to be fair here. That's what I like to do on this show. The first immediate answer is what I like to put out here. 
So you already talked about Kelvin Gastelum and Israel Adesanya, your favorite fight of all time. There was another badass fight on that very mm. same card as the co-main event. Dustin Poirier taking on Max Holloway for the interim lightweight title. Max Holloway was the featherweight champion at the time, looking to capture the 155-pound interim gold, eventually go on to fight for Undisputed. Dustin Poirier wins that fight. And yes, it was a fight that you knew Dustin won, but it was a war and a fight that, like if a couple other punches go the other way for Max Holloway, he takes that round. Like it was that close of a fight. I think it's a super just, um, I mean, those are two of my favorite fighters ever. And to see them fight that way, you know, a rematch too, two guys that fought years and years ago at 145. So you look at the evolution of them as fighters and then they come together again. It made that fight much more special to see. And when they performed the way they did in the cage, I'm going to have to go with that one. Yes, it was, again, like kind of one-sided, like you knew who won the fight when it ended. There's other fights, so you have no idea who won. But Max, I'm like, a couple more punches go his way. He takes a round or two. The judges' scorecards are totally different. I think that's a very slept-on fight that I think maybe even yeah. people forget happened, to be truthful. I, I think it's slept on due to the fact that it's on the same card. Yeah. Adesanya yeah. Gastelum. But that was a great fight. That was the main event of that card. And, uh, oh, yeah, that was the main event. Was, or that, was that all, Yeah, it was. Yeah. Gastelum and Izzy was the co-main. Wow. That was that, that was that card that people were kind of pooing on because it was both interim title fights. Oh, yeah. And then true. once the fights took place and they were amazing, Dana said, don't ever say shit to me about interim, interim title fights. fights again. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, I guess he's kind of right there. Like There could have been three round fights and that would have been just not good. Yeah. But wow. yeah. I, I will say that's another fight that had a moment before the fifth round. Dustin yep. gets up first and points to the center of the octagon and Max. It's like, oh, you're not going to do that to me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're standing and banging. And that, but yeah, that fight's great. Another one I'll throw out there, it's a old one, not one that like, you know, many people that are fans today probably even know about. But um, maybe I should make sure I get this right first. But I think... Because there's, there's a, two fighters I kind of get mixed up from the early days. Uh-oh. So I might want to make sure that I get this fight right. But one of the... It, it's If you go, like, the pre-tough era, this is probably the best fight of that era. Because a lot of the fights of that time, Tom, I mean, truthfully speaking, some of them don't hold up very well. From oh, like yeah. Before sure. tough. Like, you know, it's just a lot different of a company, right? So when you get a fight like this that is before the, you know, uh, Forrest Griffin, Stephen Bonner war, you're like, whoa, like these guys are like beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. But let me make sure. It's a heavyweight fight. Mm -hmm. Randy Couture is in this fight. It's probably one of the best heavyweight fights of all time, even though, you know, there's a lot to choose from and it's again probably not one that most people would think of but i'm pretty sure <laughs> as i keep working, i love you're like slowly getting into saying it <laughs> i i believe i i think it's uh from ufc 39 i hope i'm right on this where um rico rodriguez beat randy couture for the heavyweight title Five rounds of just nonstop action, blood and guts war. Two great fighters, Rico Rodriguez, 
not a fighter that a lot of people, you know, he, he's kind of been lost to the to history of the UFC, but he is a former UFC heavyweight champion. He actually lost his title to Tim Sylvia, so he's the guy that kind of brought along the emergence of Big Tim. And yeah. um, Rico Rodriguez, unfortunately, has had a lot of, he had a lot of issues outside the octagon later um, in his life. Uh, but it was an amazing fight. And those were two guys that were like the top of the top of MMA at that point in time. Uh, just a fight that, again, it's literally UFC 39. Like, I think the Zufa had owned the UFC for less than two years at that point. Yeah. But a fight that I would recommend for anybody wanting to kind of get into that era to go watch. And that's why we have a historian on one half of the Joes right there, baby. Don't sell yourself short, Dom. You you were there for some of these fights. Uh, that's true. Maybe not, true. Maybe not UFC 39, but little Dom was watching. He was there. He was watching. He was watching a lot of this stuff back then, you know? Yeah. Number seven. Uh-oh, we're closing in. Yeah. So there was an article that came out this past week. I actually didn't see this, but Dominic, thankfully... Uh, must have a better pulse on the uh, MMA Twitter sphere and saw that there was an article. So an article came out from MMA Junkie. It was essentially announcing that the June 25th? Yep. Isn't that yep. the... The June 25th main event is going to be the previously announced Armand Saryukin versus the Matos Gamrot fight. Uh, much to the surprise, I think, of the majority of fans. You know, these two guys... Great prospects, a lot of potential, riding on big winning streaks. But both also, both of them making their first headlining spot here. And and they're doing it together. Uh, and they're doing know. it together. They're not huge names. They're lower yeah. ranked in the division. So a lot of people surprised by this. Uh, a journalist by the name of Shaquille Majori, who me and Dominic are both big fans of. I, yes. I really like his work. He actually, he does a little bit of pro wrestling too, which yeah. uh, he's also good at. Um, he shared this article and his his, his infamous, <laughs> uh, the quote from the tweet is, uh, and we kind of tweaked it for our question here, Dom, yeah. just because I think me and you would be so adamantly against what he said. Right. That I'm trying to tweak it to make it somewhat of a yes or no you know, debate here. When it comes to star power, is Armand Saryukin versus Matos Gamrot one of the worst main events on paper in UFC history? Yeah. So the question was more direct. It was not one of. It was just, is it the worst? Yeah. Not on paper, just in UFC history, blah, blah, blah. So, Dominic, um, your thoughts on this question, and maybe you can – I don't know how you want to do this. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about – kind of the discussion that went on with Shaquille and maybe your thoughts on his viewpoints, but uh, just run wild, brother. Yeah, so I saw this earlier. He posted on the 26th, so I guess it was relatively early on in the week or like middle of the week. And um, I, I knew it was going to get – this was the type of question posed that's going to get – especially like there's people on MMA Twitter. They're going to get riled up. They're gonna, it's a big community. There's a lot of people on there that are very passionate about – Sports. Some are trolls, yes, but a lot are like knowledgeable, like very hardcore fans at least. So this is a great question uh, that he posed that I that he knew he knew going in when he typed this that he was going to get people going. Uh, he did. And uh, 
and he got me going initially. Like I made knee jerk reaction. Like, Oh, this is, this is insane. What, what do we do? And I like Shaquille, come on. I like following you, your work. He does great interviews, by the way, for those that don't know, um, kind of has a different spin on the way he does them. And I'm like, you know, I think having this type of question with the names of these fighters involved on like like on paper when you look at this tweet it's immediately like if people that aren't hardcore like us uh like us too like shaquille like people that are responding to this if they see this they're gonna think well if he's asking this why am i even gonna bother tuning in on june 25th if that's the case if it's that bad that you have to ask these people but i get it he said it because he wants you know name value they aren't huge names to the common fan but fight night's aren't pay-per-views you're not paying 75 80 i don't even 100 dollars. they're expensive <laughs> as shit these days to watch these two fight yes you got to have the espn plus subscription but like to me these are the types of fights that fight night headliners need to transition more into these are guys that are the the new wave that we're talking about 155 pounds the most competitive stack division in the ufc that we've had in the past few years but the guys that we're so used to, the Poirier's, the Ferguson's, the Hookers, the Rafael dos Anjos, they got to leave eventually. Like, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Noah's already said it. The passing of the torch, if you will, of a whole division, it happens. Those guys have to fizzle out. These are the new wave of that division, the future title contenders, the future champions. You know, you have Rafael Fazayev, you have Saryukin. Gamrot, the Joel Alvarez's, the Brad Rydell's, the Jalen Turner's. They're coming. Their time is coming. This is number 11 versus number 12 in the division. If they win, if they make a statement in the main event of a fight night, people are going to know their name going forward. If they're just going to keep being hidden down on the bottom of cards, yeah, eventually they'll come out. Eventually they'll headline a fight night. But if you're the UFC and you're trying to fill spots, why not get ahead of the curb? and give guys like this the opportunity earlier on in their careers while they're still top 15 fighters to make a name sooner than what others can do. I think I mean, we've discussed this time and time again, and I'm going to let you say your piece, but fight like, fights like this are better headliners than what we're getting on, say, June 4th with Alexander Volkov and Jarzino Rosenstroik when we've already done seeing them kind of do all that needs to be done. Very well said, Dom. Very well spoken. Yeah, I don't want to like piggyback too many of your points there because I think uh, I agree with a lot of what you said. I do think a lot of the backlash against Shaquille was a little much. I mean, it got a bit. Yeah, he's yeah. he's just asking a question, trying to. I, I don't think he was saying this because he necessarily believes that. Right. But I. But I mean, we were all surprised this was made a main event. I mean, let's yes. be honest. We were yes. all surprised. And again, that's not to say that surprise means like we're against it. No, we we support it. We were we, surprised in a good way. We were surprised because <laughs> it's not very typical of the UFC to do this. Yeah. So I think there is a discussion to be had on like, well, why is that surprising? Is it? Yeah. It's got to be for a reason, right? Well, it's because these guys are lower ranked in their weight class. They're never been headliners before, mm -hmm. and they're both unproven to, for the most part. Now. I think this is a beautiful main event. I yeah. want so badly Fight Night main events to feel more often like this. Yes. Less Holly Holm, Ketlin Vieira, less Rosenstroik. Um, I mean, the Holly Holm, like, I, I kind of get that one. But okay, like Volkov, Rosenstroik. If you put 
Gamrot Saryukin on that card on June fourth. I want that to be the headliner over yeah. Volkov Rosenstreich. Yep. It's because these main events, I understand you put a main event in place because it's um, what's the most financially um, fluid. Yeah, lucrative. Yeah. Yeah. What's the most lucrative fight to put in there? Who's the biggest name on the card? But with fight nights, I mean, UFC has put themselves in a very good position with their ESPN deal where as long as they put on the events each year, it doesn't matter. Like, as long as they put on the events, they're getting the same amount of money. It doesn't matter if the viewership is 500,000 or 250,000. And, and I don't think that's the kind of differences we're talking about here. I don't think a Rosen Detroit Volkov main event is any, I mean, it might be a smidge, but I think at the percentage viewership higher than what you get with a Saryukin, um, a Gamrot main event. Like, I think it's so small. Yeah. It shouldn't even be considered. Like, are we really going to start pegging Volkov Rosenstrike is like stars. Like, no, they're not. Like, right. That's why I think I think where Shaquille is kind of. I don't want to say he's gone wrong because he's just asking a question, and people just kind of they kind yeah of went after they take him. it out of context almost. I think it's less. I don't know if they take it out of context. I think they just assume that he's asking it right because that's what he thinks. Because nobody was really asking that question. He was. He's the one that yeah. brought that to the, the fold. And I think people don't want that to be a part of the discussion about this fight. You see, you use that for Aspen Lad Norma Dumont. That's where yeah. that question comes out for. Yeah. A fight that nobody really cares about, that nobody's excited for. Here, we want to we want to remain positive about this fight. Get it some positive. So that the casual fans that might start hearing the buzz might feel like they need to tune in, even though they haven't heard of these guys. They're like, oh, my buddy told me these guys are legit, and that whoever wants this can be the future title holder. Yeah. So I think in that way, like, that's not really Shaquille's job. I mean, he's that's, it's not his job to, to do marketing for the UFC, but I just think for me as a fan, like, I just don't think it's the right question to ask right now. Um, with that being said... When it comes to star power, it probably is one of it's probably up there, but again, I don't think that really matters, right? Like, I mean, it might is it wrong to say that it probably is one of like the top five, like lowest star powered main events ever? I mean, it probably is, but right? I don't think that matters because I think the fight that you because again, I think the room for error, the the percentage. I think the difference between this fight and, again, some of these main events that are so commonplace nowadays are so small. The percentage difference is so small. And you're in a weight class here that's the most intriguing in the whole company. Two guys that are leading, basically leading the charge and taking over uh, the top of this weight class. Um, This is what I want more main events to be because these main events should be there should be some things we're learning about people. Based yes, on who exactly. Wins, who loses? You know, you test these guys by giving them a main event spot. Um, you know, what lessons are learned by Volkov Rosenstreich? No matter what happens, 
I don't know if it really tells us anything. Exactly. They've we've I, seen I, them at the pinnacle outside of like a title fight. So like they've, why they've does done, this deserve five yeah, rounds? They they've already been there, done that, and yeah. Honestly, their main event spots haven't exactly <laughs> haven't exactly proved to to be the most frugal ventures for them. So it's like. Right. You know, and with that kind of fight, just make that a co-main three-round main event. But make this like a main event because there's actually a lot that can be learned from this fight. You know, the winner, man. I mean, they're about to catapult to the top ten. Yeah, they're they're, they're a couple fights away from perhaps a title eliminator. Um, the loser, depending on how they lose, do they slow down in the championship rounds or? Uh, do they just get beat pillar to post or what yeah. is it? There's a lot of lessons that can just be learned here. And um, I, I, I think it's a great main event. I mean, I'm yeah. so happy that this is a main event. Yeah, the the way that you broke down your mindset of these fight night main events a little while ago to me for the first time, and I've loved it ever since, and you already just went into it just now. But, like, that's the mindset people should share, especially, like, in the hardcore fan base. It's like if there's nothing that I can learn that I don't already know about these fighters, I don't need it to be a main event. Hey, you could make it a three round fight. You know, Volkov Rosenstroik, they haven't fought before. That's mm -hmm. good. It's a good fight, but we don't need it to be a main event. Cause we already know everything about these guys. So are you can in a Gamrot while they've had great performances, they have great records. There's a whole lot. We don't know about them still. And when we give them five mm -hmm. rounds on a platform that they haven't had before, here it is. The world is your oyster. Whoever wins this. Yeah. And Those are the always, types of fights that we need. It doesn't always have to be, you know, both guys need, like, sometimes you do put, not necessarily what happened with Kellen Vera, Holly Holm, because I, I don't think we needed that fight, but, like, you could do Holly Holm, right? Someone who's a legitimate um, star, I guess, still, and, you know, we know how she performs in five-round fights. We know how she performs, like, fight to fight. Like, you know, she's solid. Um, but let's say you had someone rising through the ranks who had yet the main event. Well, let's just take an example that's coming up. RDA versus Rafael Fazayev. There it's you a great go. Main event. An absolute banger of a main event. Yes. I mean, that's not just because the fight is great, but because RDA is still looking ahead for a potential title shot. And I think with the win against Fazayev, he, he may have earned himself a title eliminator fight. Yeah. But then you have Fazayev, who, again, has never been in a main event. He's been on a lot of great three-round fights, but some of those he's slowed down towards yep. the end. Um, I think it's important to see how does he go over five rounds. How does he perform? It may not go five rounds, but why doesn't it go five rounds? Does he empty, does he empty the gas tank trying to put RDA away early, and then RDA is able to kind of smother him before we even get to round four? Or does he put RDA away early? And then that just raises his his bar even higher. So yes. uh, I just think there's so much you can learn from a fight like that that you don't get with the kind of main events we've gotten over the last few weeks. That's kind of been my gripe with some of these. Yep. It's not, it's, I don't even care so much about the cars not being super uh, stacked because I get it. These fight nights, they're going to have a lot. It's a lot of yeah. you know, fights with new people making debuts and stuff and they they're not supposed to be pay-per-views yeah but make the main event something interesting something intriguing something storylines yeah something that you can learn something from 
Yes. Don't make it something boring and stagnant like what we've been getting these last couple of weeks, in my opinion. Yes. Fights like this right here in this you know, banner that you're seeing need to be more commonplace for the fight night main events. Yeah. Last one, number eight. Um, we've had a great time going over these questions, but unfortunately we, we, we got, only got one more. Who is a current fighter that is primed for a late career title run resurgence? We have talked about this question before, Dominic, and um, I just thought it was time to kind of bring it back up. You know, yeah. you got these guys like Charles Oliveira, like Jan Blahovic, like Glover Teixeira, who at one point seem like they're never really going to be. It seems like they get written off at one point. Yep. And then somewhere along the way, they just come on a big resurgence and now and then become champions. So who's a fighter right now who maybe has been on a bit of a struggle or is kind of middling out, and you still think this person, they could end up on a very big run here soon and become a champion? Yeah, so there were two names that finally came to me as we were going throughout the episode. I'm glad you have someone because I still don't know who I'm going to say. Well... The one has a fight booked that makes me a little nervous, so that's going to reserve me from saying that name. I'll mention it after the fact. But I'm going to go with one that probably is going to surprise you a little bit, maybe some people listening or watching. I'm going to go with the light heavyweight division, 205 pounds, a guy we haven't seen in a long time, Mr. Dominic Reyes. He's lost three fights in a row. Right, he, uh, you know, he lost that title fight to John Jones. I still want to go back and watch that fight and see if I still feel how I did in that moment, which was right. that Dominic Reyes won the fight and should be the champion. Anyway, then he lost to Jan Blachowicz for the um, the vacated belt. Right, he got finished in that one, and then he had that amazing fight with Yuri Prohaska, who's about to fight here in a couple weeks for the title, uh, and then got spinning back elbowed into the shadow realm and hasn't fought since. You know, that was May of 2021, so it's been over a year now we are in june happy summer right said that at the top this is a guy that was undefeated 12 and 0 going into that john jones fight and while he's won three in a row you look at these names man these are the the upper echelon of this light heavyweight division that was the last fight john jones has had in his career john jones hasn't fought since that fight with dominic reyes that was such a war and back and forth i think that he's a elite level athlete a guy that was a just just has physical assets and skills that are there and if he can put just put it all together with these layoffs, you know, he, he's been there in these fights, um, you know, that he's lost two of the three anyways, except for the one with uh, Blahovich was one sided. I think with the state of this light heavyweight division right now and the title, it's it's kind of it, it could be in a season of lingo where it's getting passed back and forth. We've had that discussion on a round table, if I'm not mistaken. I think Dominic Reyes can not only get back to his winning ways. But I think he can get into title contention again, even though it seems so far away right now. Wow, that's a that's a great one, Dom. I yeah, I'm struggling on this one a little bit. Truthfully, I I, I don't. It's so hard. Like I'm looking through. I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw one out that's. Uh, I don't know if I believe this one myself, but I'm going to throw Uh-oh. it out there. Okay. okay. That's kind of the thing, right? Like part of the charm of these kind of fighters is like, you don't see it coming. Exactly. That's the fun. Like, Dominic Reyes is a great choice because it is someone who 
you're, we aren't thinking about right now, and maybe a lot of people have written them off, but we could definitely, yeah, like I could definitely see that taking place. I'm gonna go with the flyweight division because Uh-oh. I think the flyweight division could be in a the next few years. You could see a lot of just uh, titles changing hands, yeah. a lot of a lot of champions coming through. Call me crazy, but after his last fight, I'm not ready to write off Tim Elliott. Oh, man. That's a big one. <laughs> Look, Tim Elliott, he doesn't have the prettiest record. Yeah. He's, 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 he's been, like, if I look at his record here, like, he's coming off that win over Tahir Ulim Bekov. Great fight, a great prospect in that, in that division. He's lost to guys like Matthias Nicolau. He had that win over Jordan Espinoza, who I don't think is in the company. He beat Ryan Benoit. He lost to Roy Val. That's when Roy Val made his big splash into the UFC. Yep. He's lost to Askarov. Okay. Like, my, here's here's the thing. He's lost to Figgy. He's lost to a lot of guys in this division, right? The thing with Tim Elliott is when he's at his best, man, he looks so good. And we Look saw at that. how he looked against Ulan Bekov. That yep. was, like, the best we've seen of him. Look at, he is one of the toughest fights that Demetrius Johnson had yep. during his title run. Which tells me that he can beat anybody on any given night, and he can lose to anybody on any given night. A yep. bit of a Michael Johnson. <laughs> I was about to say the same thing. What if I would have said Michael Johnson is my answer? Would you shit? <laughs> I thought you were just honestly going to say Andre Arlovsky, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've kind of already said that, remember? remember you laid out the plan. I think that's I 2023, so we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I legitimately think there is a world where Tim Elliott could at least get back into position to be a type. It's a, it's a thin division. Yeah. You know, he's still ranked right outside the top 10. He's like number 11. If he gets matched up with, like, uh, Alex Perez, beats Alex Perez, and he's, like, number four, who's to say he can't get a title fight? Yeah. And maybe Very it true. wouldn't be the win streak that, like, a Jan Blahovich went on to earn his way back. But I do think there's a world where Tim Elliott, 2023 men's flyweight champion. There it is. Mark it. June 1st. 2022. Now, who was the person that you were considering but not going to say because you're worried about their upcoming fight? Yeah, so it was another light heavyweight. It was actually Anthony Smith because we've already kind of oh, seen it. Yeah, yeah. We've seen that's it, right? Um, he's tallied that's all three in a row. Man. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way the light heavyweight division is right now. The problem is he's scheduled to fight Magomed Ankalaev, and that's, you know, that's just yeah. that's a tough fight. He can win. Is it? But that's is this even fight. is it an accurate answer to say Dominic Cruz? Like, is that really fit this? Uh... See, I was wondering that too because we're like, when you look at these other guys, you look at uh, like Glover, Jan, Oliveira. They never had that title before, so that's why I no. did kind of hold off. But Dominic with, came to mind with Glover. He did fight for a title. He before. did fight for the title. Yes, just but never then he held had that span of right, yes. where he where he wasn't. So I don't think that counts. But, but, yeah, I mean, if you want to talk former title holders like Dominic Cruz, I mean, there's even more yeah. that you could go through yeah. and say here. I mean, look I at mean, Jose even, Aldo, what he's doing. Well, that's true, Aldo, but he's already close to being, like, there, you know. Yeah. A yeah. name I really wanted to say, but it, I just think it's hard with the current weight classes being the way they are, is Kelvin Gastelum. 
Dude, I yeah. Still, I still, yeah. I still believe in Kelman. I just think weight classes have been his biggest issue. It's like he's a little too small at 185. Yeah. But then he's he can't consistently make 170. He did say in an interview with the Schmo a while back, I think this was like last summer, that he was going to try to go back down to 170 and get like a nutritionist and stuff. I don't know if that's really... Man, that'd be I ideal think. too, you know. He's not even booked for a fight right now, is he? No, so, nothing new from Kelvin. He was team. supposed to fight Nasruddin Imamov, right? Yes. And then, then yeah. He, yeah, he fell out of that card. So for now, he's sticking to 185. But if he went, if he was able to consistently make 170, I, I think he could be a real threat down there. Yeah. I mean, Darren Till is an interesting. Ooh. Name. Yeah, that is a good one. There's, it's it's interesting, man. Like these divisions, they just. It's just the sport in general. It's so day by day. Guys can rattle off these win streaks that you never saw coming. They can lose eight in a row. You know what I mean? Like, it's just crazy. That's why this sport's so. Who's an un, who's an unranked fighter that could could make that? Who's like maybe had a couple losses, a couple wins, but like you know that's what a Charles really did. He was like this five hundred fighter, and then he you know. How about Randy Brown? Wins. Ooh, that's a good one. Randy Brown's a good one, man. He looks better and better. Somehow, I mean, look at the boxing in that Chaos Williams fight. That was, I mean, that was pretty to watch. (laughs) I like seeing guys that are coming into their all right now. Like, he's one that feels that way. Jalen Turner at 155 feels that way. And that was a fight he did, right. That was a fight he did with the stand-up. But then we see what he's capable of with his submissions. He got the one-arm guillotine, like a rear naked choke. Sorry, that's but he had the one arm rear naked choke. Like I mean, that's a that takes a lot of core strength and power to get that kind of choke in. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's so much talent. I mean, would it be crazy if Michelle Pajero fought for a title eventually? I mean, it's not out of their own possibility. Again, Fuck that's it, another dude. guy Fuck who's just it, putting it dude. together. I'm saying Andre Arlovsky, damn it. You know one I kind of like? Now we're just fucking going on. We do this sometimes on the last question. We'll just start yeah. rapid firing. What about Shane Burgos at 145, though? I did look at him, and I – and I. God, I Not that he's, Shane. like, lost a ton, but, like, he's lost the big ones that have kept him kind of well, in the back he, half, he was on you a, know? Before he beat Billy, wasn't he on a three-fight losing streak? He's lost two or three there. But I think, I think he's, like, six and three in the UFC. The guy has so many fights in the UFC, I don't think people realize it. He's number 14. I don't know, man. I feel like if something could click with Shane, Hurricane Shane, he could make a run. Like Shane, You know, Shane's biggest problem seems to be that, like, and it's the thing we love him for is that he has no – he's very – I mean, he's yeah. carefree. I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for. Or he's uh, careless. Like, he just – he goes yeah. for it, man. And doesn't care how he puts his body on the line or what, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if he could, like, maybe just fight just a little bit smarter, like, maybe... maybe He's he good, man. Like, offensive skill set is legit. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of good options, but obviously not most of those, if not all of them, will probably never happen. But it's, yeah. It's something that's interesting to speculate about because usually it happens without you even... Re- like, Charles kind of just... And, yeah, and he was there. They were there. Like, it just out of nowhere, they're just there, basically. It's like, wow. Yeah. Yep. Um, so it's interesting to try to pinpoint those guys now because it might be someone who we don't even think of. Isn't that kind of crazy? Yeah, it's crazy, man. 
That's why it's going to be Andre Arlovsky who's going to be fighting for well, the title. So. Sorry, real quick, I got to say one more name because the la- we not this question, but Noah said, "Well, who's an unranked guy? Just you know, shits and giggles, unranked fighter." Tatiana Suarez, where you at, honey? I'm still <laughs> waiting to see her come back from injury, man. If she never fights again, like her and Zabit are going to be two of the biggest what ifs in UFC history if they don't fight. That's again. so true, too. I mean. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Speaking of Zabit, by the way, going back to the main event question, yeah. that's a guy who his comeback fight should be a main event. Love that. Honestly, both of them. Fuck it. Why not? I mean, that was the big question about him before yeah. he left about the cardio. And yep. now it's just even more of a question. For sure. For sure. Well, I guess that's it for the questions. Uh, <laughs> let us know the answers you guys have to those questions down below. Uh, but before we get on out of here, we're going to do a personal favorite of ours on our episode's closing statements. Oh, it looks really big today because the banner's <laughs> yeah. different. <laughs> yeah, so Dominic, do you have any closing statements for this Wednesday, June 1st edition of the show? Wednesday, June 1st. We're going to have another episode come out tomorrow on Thursday, June 2nd. I'm going to have two closing statements because two fun things are coming up this weekend. So on Monday, I'll have to think of another closing statement. First closing statement, I'm going to actually pose a question. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I am venturing to see WWE SmackDown this coming Friday, June 3rd. Uh, I have not been to a WWE event since I was, shoo, 8, 9, 10. How many have you been to before? I've only been to one SmackDown. So when they would do Raw or SmackDown down in Cincy back but it used to be u.s bank arena we would try and go with when every time they would come to ohio i'd i don't know maybe five times i'd probably say oh, no you, more okay than you've five. been a good amount okay yeah i remember making smackdown back in the day yeah on you know what this might even be my first smackdown i feel like i've only been to raw i don't know i could be it's been a long time but i'm going for the first time and you know if you're if you've listened to the show you know that Noah and i man we go way back that's how we kind of started well, you know, that was our favorite thing growing up as kids was WWE, SmackDown, Raw, WrestleManias, all the pay-per-views, the, the Hardy Boys, and everybody, right? We mm-hmm. loved it. Um, and then it evolved into the real, you know, the real combat. Yeah. Not that wrestling is not fake. It's scripted, right? I'm not saying that to people. <laughs> but we got into the real combat, right? That transition period. So how many of you guys uh, started out like as little kids? Did you guys love the WWE, WWF? You know, that attitude era, the ruthless aggression era. That, to me, as a kid, was like... It was truthfully at a time where it felt like it was so big. There were I felt like I knew a lot of people that watched wrestling. So just the time that it used to be was so important to me as a, as a young one. So how many of you guys once watched WWE, WWF? And if you did, do you still in 2022? I'm excited, Noah, because if I'm not mistaken... Ronda Rousey's on the SmackDown roster. What a moment for me as an MMA fan to not see her ever in the UFC, but maybe see her wrestling in the WWE. <laughs> Could be fun. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I will say my story with WWE. Like, I'm curious if you because we went we went to the same school our whole life, so yeah, you know, we should have similar experience here. But how I remember it because we both got into it before we even start. Like, when we were like four. Yeah, like toddlers. It was on the TV, you know. Like before I was in preschool or before I was in kindergarten, I started watching wrestling. Yeah, yeah. And I remember 
like not a lot of people, not a lot of kids were watching it because you know it's <laughs> TV fourteen. Whatever, right. So right. I don't remember. I remember it became really popular in like fifth grade. Like that's fifth when it grade, hit big. It yeah. blew up, and all of a sudden I'd get on the bus, and all of our buddies like that we know now like. I remember like Dalton having like like figures, and I was like, "Yeah, I've never heard him talk about wrestling." Yeah. So all of a sudden, that's when like I became kind of cool. Yeah. For the first time in my life, <laughs> because I had like already all these yeah like action figures. I had all these DVDs. I mean, I had built up this collection, and I had I've been watching it for years. So when it be- exploded in our grade. I was already like I I was kind of like this is old news. Did you feel like, somewhat similar? Yeah, a hundred percent, man. I felt like I was always that kid that was watching it. And then around that time period, I could all of a sudden say, "Hey, you guys want to come over this weekend watch uh, you know the the Royal Rumble or whatever pay per view was on on Sunday?" Like mm-hmm. I had a couple birthday parties that we would rent, like the WWE pay per views, and that would be like the time where I could show my friends, like, "Hey." This is wrestling. So, yeah, I definitely felt that way for sure. In another life, me and Dom are somehow even better friends because we yeah. met and d- found out we loved wrestling. I know. Imagine at that time, man. Oh. Like, I had no idea Dominic liked wrestling until we were probably in high school. Like, Older, no yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, what was your – did you have another closing statement? That was it. I'll have a second one for Thursday show. Oh, tomorrow, for Thursday. Show. Okay, okay. <laughs> Oh, for me today, closing statements, June 1st. Um, trying to think if there's anything. Oh, I do have one, actually. Here we go. I love when Noah um, has to dig deep for it. So as part of my, you know, battle, or not battle, but as part of my um, mission to try to lose a little bit of weight, get in better shape and all that, I've been chewing a lot of gum, you know, to try to curb my appetite, you know, not snack as much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, guys, I, I, there is a childhood gum that Uh-oh. I loved so much that I recently found again. And it's a problem. Big League <laughs> Chew oh. has taken over my life. Oh, man. I can't help but put a big wad of, like, almost a whole pack in my mouth and have it sit there like it's fucking Tobacco. <laughs> like, I, I, I walk around my apartment looking like Johnny Gomes from the Reds. If you guys know who Johnny yeah. Gomes is, he would always have this big cheek sticking out, big wad of chew in his mouth. That's what I, I That's been my thing for, like, a couple weeks. At work, I do it. And I keep putting it like in my gum. I'm like, what am I doing? Why yeah, am I? Gotta chew why, this. Am I pack, why am I packing a lip here? Yeah, yeah. So for all That's you awesome. lip for all you lip packers out there, yep. just know I'm, I'm I'm being a phony. I'm being a fake one of you, and I'm using Big League Chew to do it. <laughs> I love that. Man, that something about that. They still have the like rip the packaging kind of with the yep, big you, cartoon guy. Yep, oh, rip man. it and. Uh, Sour Apple is the... the oh, yes. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Well, I guess that's going to wrap us up. <laughs> wrap it up here. Uh, I'm Noah Baker. That's Dom Next to Lee. We're the Below Average Joes. And we'll see you tomorrow. Oh, yeah. See you then. <laughs>